0: You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon by Daniel Mason. Good morning. morning. Uh, We all pray with you. Jesus, we thank you so much for this Christmas season. God, we thank you for Advent. Um, I pray in this time, Lord, you would just give us, Lord, not just an Advent season where we uh, are, yeah, preparing and waiting for you to move. God, um, I pray that you would give us an Advent spirit, Lord, um, that we would uh, not just have this for a moment, not just have this during a season, but that we have this as a church Uh, For our eternities, God, we would constantly be preparing and waiting for you to move, God, uh, and experiencing Emmanuel, you with us. pray today in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Is is the mic on? Is it working? Okay, cool. Do I need to press it? This always happens. Oh, is it on now? Is it on now? Hey, there we go. Morning, everyone. Uh, Chase knows that he's rolling his eyes right now a little bit because he knows I hate mics because stuff like this always happens to me with my mics. Um, so I'm so sorry. God bless y'all. Um, Alright, so something happens every single time. I'm going to make this short because if I, if I told the full version of this story, I found it even this morning. If I told the full, full version of the story, it'd be even longer and even funnier. Um, but uh, every single time my dad asks me uh, to preach, it's always he always calls me up. He's always told the church I'm going to preach weeks before. Um, but I find out about a week or two before, um, and it's always around, it's almost always around in the, in the middle of exams, which is what happened. Uh, so in the middle of exams, I always get a call or a text, in this case it was a text, hey, can you preach? Uh, which really means, hey, we're excited that you're going to preach. Um, and the second thing, I, I always ask this question, and I ask it just in faith that someday I will get a different answer. Um, I, I, I text back this question, okay, cool, well, what are you guys learning, or what are you guys doing, or what are you guys going through right now? Like, what passage am I supposed to preach on? Or what topic or something. And I always get the same response. Oh, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> just whatever you feel the Lord's giving you. As whatever. Um, and those of you know the Masons really well, which is most of the people in this room right now. You know us really well. You know we act like we're just going with the flow. But in reality, we're really type A. We're an intensely type A family. So I always have the same response when my dad tells me this. I always There's two things. There's two voices in my head. One is from the Lord. One is from me. One is from me. Um, the, the, the one from the Lord is like, oh, your dad like really trusts you and trusts the Holy Spirit in you to bring a word to your church. Like, praise God. And I always feel a little proud. The other part of me, the other part of me, It's just like, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me and have mercy on this church. Um, Because, God, you're going to have to bring work because I've got nothing. I'm right in the middle of exams, and this is hopeless. Um, uh, So by God's grace, he always does show up. He always gives some work. And and the image that he brought to my mind when I was praying for us today, for what to preach about today, and what ultimately he he gave me uh, was to preach on the nativity. Uh, the Nativity is uh, it's thousands of years old It literally the, the, the word Christmas we, we celebrate Christmas but um, in Spanish or any if you know any Latin language or, or um, Latin origin language uh, you know that the word for Christmas is it's Navidad or literally Nativity so we don't actually celebrate Christmas we celebrate Nativity the birth story of Christ that's what, that's what Christmas really is and that's what we're really celebrating is Nativity. And when you see a nativity, when we we hear that word, we think of it, we have an image in our minds. And and it's this picture that we all have, you know, posted up during Christmas time of a manger and and everyone gathered around this manger, right? And people gather around this manger, historically speaking or biblically speaking, they aren't actually there when Jesus is born. The reason why we we created the nativity, it's the same reason you create, like, movie posters uh, with, with all the different characters on them. It's because these are the major players in this, in this narrative. So in the nativity, in the birth story of Jesus, in the story of Emmanuel, God coming to us, these are the individuals that, that God and that our, our forefathers, the, the Christian elders who came before us when they were coming up with the tradition of nativity, they said, these are the people you just can't miss. These are the people you just can't miss. And so today what I want us to do, uh, there are four groups of people Featured in the Nativity narrative. And each one of those four groups of people, they were given an honor in this story and in history by God that no other people were ever given. These four figures, these four um, groups of people, they've been given an honor by God in history and in scripture that no one else before them or after (laughs) Have ever, or will ever, or were ever given again. And so there's something, there's these four lessons, these four things that bring you to the manger. That bring you, during the Advent season, we're preparing for Christ. We're waiting for Christ. We're waiting for Emmanuel, God to be with us. And if we want, as a church, uh, one of the parts of our mission statement here is participating in the purposes of Christ, right? If we want to participate in God's purposes, if we want to Advent, if we want to experience Emmanuel... The the story of the nativity is that these are the four things that bring you to the manger, to experience Emmanuel. And so that's really what I want us to dive into today. And we're going to be spending a lot of time in Luke. Um, The first figures, if you look at any nativity scene, the first two figures there, the ones standing over the manger, are always Mary and Joseph. And and they're the first group I want us to look at today. Um, I'm going to be diving into uh, Luke um, and we're going to be diving into Luke 1 and Luke 2. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 2. Sorry, I'm flipping. This is this is Dad's Bible. He, I left my Bible in the car, and he graciously supplied it. There we go. Luke 2. Um, uh, we're in Luke 1 right now. Uh, verses... Uh-oh, I forgot my verses. Um, uh, right here. 26. Luke 126, that's where we're beginning, it should be on the screen. Um, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this word. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, Mary asked, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And he talks about her cousin Elizabeth. And I'm going to bring us down to verse 38. At the end of all this, Mary just says this in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. And the angel left her. The two people closest to the manger are Mary and Joseph. They received the two, these two individuals. Um, sorry, I'm going to get worked up. Um, they received a gift that um, is totally unique in human history. Um, the ancient uh, church fathers. I'm going to get so worked up. I'm like my dad. We get worked up at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> So the ancient church fathers, they had a term for Mary. They thought about it the same way they thought about um, Jesus being fully God and fully man, which took years and years and years of people fighting and arguing. Some people were almost killed uh, when they were fighting over the doctrine that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, And the other term that people fought over and were thrown in jail over was called theotokos. Theotokos. It means the mother of God. And when they were talking about what it means that Jesus was incarnated, what they had to argue about when you realize Jesus is really fully God and fully man. To so believe the incarnation, you have to also believe Mary is Theotokos, the mother of God. Let us make us pause. We love to talk about this passage in Christmas time because of an immaculate birth, right? A miraculous birth. She's a virgin giving birth. And that's amazing. But we miss. The other side of this so often, and and we miss it because a lot of times we're trying not to make Mary into God, right? But when you listen to the song, Mary, Did You Know, uh, it talks about this. When she kisses her baby, she's kissing God incarnate. She gave birth to God. And in this passage, this teenage girl, this random poor Jewish peasant, is told... Mary, I'm the God of the universe, and I want you to birth me into this world. I birthed existence, but I want you to birth me. And when Mary stands in heaven, you got to think about this. It's, It's terrifying and beautiful. When she looks at Jesus in heaven, she's the only person... Who doesn't just look at her savior her redeemer her her lover her god she looks into the face of her son there are a lot of proud mothers in the world none of them they can say things you know my, my parents love they're very proud of me they're, they're wonderful um, they see this thing about you know that I, I hear them say things like oh he's an amazing pastor um oh our son is uh you know, he's a princeton student They can't say, my son is God. (laughs) (laughs) She can. The one person in human history who can say, my son is God. She'd make us pause. It's an honor no one else in existence has ever been able to say or will ever again. She birthed God. And that's what's happening in this passage. She's staring over the manger. And that's, that's, we need to pause and ask ourselves, what made her so highly favored? Probably the most favored human being in existence. And right alongside her, right staring over the manger is Joseph. Joseph gets almost, almost the same thing. He gets told in a vision, hey, you need to marry that woman. She's pregnant with me and I want you to adopt me. God tells this young man who could not have been older than a college student. The oldest he could have been is probably 22, between the ages of 16 and 22. He tells this probably teenage guy, this random peasant carpenter, hey, I'm Father God. I created existence, but I want you to adopt me. I want to be a part of your family line. I want you to teach me what it means to be a man. I want you to grow me up and teach me your trade. I want you to teach me what it means to be a human being. The God of the universe looks at this man and says, I want to call you daddy growing up. Can you imagine what it's like for them in heaven? They don't just look up at their God. They look up at their son ruling existence. And they have this honor. And there's only one thing we ever see about them. It's amazing. They're poor, uneducated. There's nothing special about Joseph and Mary. There's only one thing they do, but they do it so well it should terrify us. When she hears this, everyone's going to think that, that you got knocked up doing what people normally do. When he hears this, your, your wife that you think, that your, your fiancé that you think is cheating on you, she's pregnant with me. I put myself inside of her. When she hears this, in a day and age when she could be stoned for this, when he hears this, when he's going to take shame in front of everyone he knows for this, and and then later is told in vision after vision after vision, yeah, you gotta protect me because I'm still a baby. You gotta protect me because I'm still a baby. You gotta protect me because people are coming after me. You gotta protect me. What they're told when their lives are put at risk, when they're shamed in public, When no one understands what God is doing in their life, the greatest miracle of existence, and they are shamed for it, what they're told, what we're told that they do over and over again, they just say, amen, over and over and over again. She says, let it be. He says, okay, over and over again. They're just willing and obedient. If you want to be drawn into the manger, this is what God is saying. If you want to be know, know what the greatest and most honored human beings in all of existence had, the only thing they had that made them anything special, they were willing. They were obedient. That is all it takes in Advent season to draw as close as you can to the manger. When God says go, we go. When God says are you willing, we say we offer our whole self, and that is it. Is what Advent is about, but the Nativity doesn't end there. There's three other groups. The second group that gets mentioned are the shepherds. I'm going to read this. It's the most famous uh, Christmas passage in history. This is uh, Luke 2. Luke 2, starting in 20, uh, starting in 26, I believe. Oop, nope. Luke 2. Sorry, guys. Again, my my verses aren't down here. This is Luke 2, 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were terrified, but an angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then the great host of heaven appears to them. And they say this in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and had gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happening Which the Lord has told us about So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph And the baby who was lying in a manger When they had seen him they spread the word Concerning what had been told to them about this child And all who heard it were amazed At what the shepherds said to them The second group is this shepherd it is, it is, Are these shepherds They're nothing special They're second class citizens They're out in the boonies of town But God chooses to trust These second class nobodies with the greatest news of existence given to them by the entirety of the heavenly host. One of the single greatest, if not the single greatest revelation in human history. And it is given to them for one reason. There's only one thing they do. All these figures, there's only like a single or two things that they do anything special. And for the shepherds, it's only one thing. They actually move and they go. They say, okay, let's see this thing. They don't just, they've seen a miracle that's so great. The average, I I don't know about y'all, if I saw the entire heavenly host revealed to me before my lifetime, I'd be content. (laughs) I'd be okay. There is a God, he is powerful, he's real, and it's awesome. I think I'd be okay. Uh, They're not content. They say, no, we gotta go see this thing. They let this message move them. And they go and they see it. And when they see it, they realize not only do we know this is true because it's some crazy miracle, we've we've seen this, we've tasted this, then they begin to do something crazy. They're the first evangelists in history. They share about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ before he's even gone to the cross, y'all. There is no one else with that kind of honor in human history that can say, I was an evangelist before the resurrection. It's amazing. And what makes these guys, these second class nobodies, so incredibly special that they receive the greatest revelation, give or take, in human history from God Almighty and then go and take up the mantle of the, of the first great evangelist, what makes them so amazing is that they're not content to just see and to just hear And believe the word of God They actually have to go see it They have to know They have to receive it fully We've heard this story a million times We've heard this story a million times I'll never forget I was over in, in East Asia with crew For the first time And one of our leaders Her name was Carrie And she was like me She was a church kid Raised by a pastor She never did anything seriously wrong in her life She was a good little church girl as she shared sharing her testimony, and she started to weep. And she said this. She said, I'm so grateful for these tears. I've heard this story a million times, but I pray I'm still moved at a million and one. I pray I still let it change me. Because it is the greatest peace and the greatest joy we've ever been given. And if I ever forget that, if I ever let myself get numb to that, then I would have lost my true testimony. She said, my testimony isn't some crazy story of God rescuing me from some crazy situation. My testimony is that his peace and his joy are real, and they still change me today. Because I've heard it a million and one, and it still doesn't stop moving me. Do we let ourselves get moved? Because the shepherds did. And it was that movement that let them not only hear and believe, but see God face to face, incarnate before anyone else and go out, they were so overcome. If you want to be an amazing evangelist, here's the lesson. If you want to be like the first evangelists, you don't need to learn a bunch of crazy, amazing strategies. You don't have to be winsome. These are things that help, but at the end of the day, the only thing that really makes you an amazing evangelist for Jesus Christ is if you just get overwhelmed by who he is. Do we, do we let ourselves get overwhelmed by peace in a world that's chaotic? Do we let ourselves get overwhelmed by joy in a world that is miserable? Do we let ourselves get overwhelmed by evil? Because God is with us. The third group, and I'm not going to dive into this one too much because our amazing Elizabeth is going to be preaching on this next week. Uh, And they're also not in our passage. Uh, So for two reasons, uh, are the Magi, the three kings, the wise men. And, And the fact, I'm only going to say this, the fact that they're there they shouldn't be there. When we hear that word magi, we, we think, you know, wise men, three kings. It's, we, we, we kind of don't know how to translate this term. What we should think about are the men who are called sorcerers in, like, books like Daniel, where there's, like, we're out in Babylon in these Eastern, really demonic cultures and contexts. These guys, before meeting Jesus, they worshiped demons, they were corrupt politicians. And they were educated in a pagan environment. They should not be there. They're the last people you expect to be worshiping Jesus. But when they come, they not only come, they bring three gifts. And those three gifts tell us something. They worship Jesus. They bow before this peasant baby. And they offer him gold. They worship him as their king. They worship him with frankincense as the God of very God. Frankincense is what you would present to God or a spiritual person who is standing in the place of God. They worship him with myrrh. Myrrh is what you do to prepare someone for burial. They're the first people in human history to worship Jesus as their savior, to thank him for dying for them. Could you imagine that honor, to be let in on that secret, to worship Jesus as your savior before he's even gone to the cross. And what makes them the first great worshipers to actually worship Jesus fully as their king, as their Lord, and their Savior, it's not that they're good Jewish people. They're the last people you expect to be there. It's that they actually pay attention when God moves. Everyone saw the star in the sky. It was huge. It was bright. But only these three, if there were three, or maybe a host of random Pagan demon worshipers paid attention, made the long journey, did the research in scripture to realize who this baby was gonna be. Herod and the Jewish elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they all knew the scriptures and they still missed him. If you want to notice Emmanuel, where God is with you, if you want to worship Jesus fully, It is very simple. Very hard, but very simple. He's giving you signs. Are you listening? Are you waiting? Are you reading? He's giving you his word. He's giving us his signs. He is there. Are we actually preparing? Are we adventuring for God to show up? That's it. This last group, we're coming back to Luke. This last group is the one I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. it. Um, it's, in, uh, it's, it's from uh, what Mom was reading for us. This is Luke 2. We're beginning in Luke 22, 22. When the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, the child, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn must be consecrated to the Lord. And offer a sacrifice in keeping with what's said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves, two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. He would not die before he'd seen the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for the people of Israel. He keeps going and prophesying, but I'm going to take us down to Anna in 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna, they're the two we so often forget. They're the two in the shadows of the nativity. But to me, they're the most important, in a way. Because they're the two people during the original advent who were actually adventing. They were praying and preparing and waiting for decades. God promised them this promise, and I can just imagine... It says that Anna's been doing this for approximately 60 years. Simeon was probably doing this for just as long, if not longer. Could you imagine being told by God, you will see me incarnate. You will touch me. With your your hands, you'll touch me if you just wait and pray and prepare. And so Simeon and Anna, they wait, they pray, decade after decade after decade, It says the Holy Spirit was always on them, always coming on them, always moving in them. It says that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, so he goes to the temple. That means that for millions of times before the Holy Spirit had come upon him, he'd gone into the temple hoping, praying, expectantly, waiting to see his Messiah, to see the answer to all the riddles, to see the meaning of existence, the one who's split the stars in the meeting and touch him. He'd been waiting. And decade after decade, that prayer had not been answered. Could you imagine what it feels like he was touched by the Holy Spirit again to say, okay, well, one more time. It's been a million, a million and one now. I'm walking in by faith. And seeing the answer to his prayer, holding incarnate God in his hands and praying to God who is sitting in his hands, now I can die in peace because my greatest prayer that promise you gave me it's answered it took 60 plus years but it was worth it could you imagine The two saints, the two prophets, the two prayer warriors who were adventing to this little baby in the temple. Day in and day out. But they see and they touch and they taste Emmanuel, God. About a decade before, I'm going to end it right here, I'm going to end it here. About a decade before, um, right now, um. Savelle Phillips, the, one of my parents' mentors, Sabel and Phillips, and um, the guy who called me to ministry, he was preaching um, at Classic City. Uh, he'd been in ministry for about 60-something years. At that point, he was in his 80s. He was, he was getting ready to, to pass. And he gave one of his last sermons at our congregation. And he said this. He, he addressed all the college students in the room, which at the time was me. And, and he said, uh, he said, you know, I'm not long for this world dinosaur. He he said this phrase, he said, but I've made my peace with God. He and I have peace. Because it's been 60 long years, and he has answered my prayers. And there are prayers he still hasn't answered, but I know he's going to answer them. My prayers echo ever in the ears of my Lord, and they will echo in his ears ceaselessly until he brings them to me. Some of you take note." He told the college students, he said, some of you take note because you will see the answer to my prayers. When you do, take a note because I won't be on earth to worship. I'll be too busy. So you guys take note and you guys worship. God, I made my peace with God. Could you imagine praying that prayer with Simeon? Now I can depart in peace. It's all been worth it.'" Emmanuel was worth it. Advent was worth it because Emmanuel. God is breathing with us. And as we enter into the fullness of Advent, as we enter into our season of prayer and fasting come New Year's, I want us to ask this question. There's this uh, phrase, Savelle was preaching from Habakkuk, and Habakkuk begins, and over and over again the prophet asked this question, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? I've been praying I've seen evil and I know you can fix it. I've been praying. How long do I have to wait? And God over and over again asked this question back to back. Over and over again. Habakkuk asks, "How long, O Lord?" And the Lord asks him back. He says, "It's coming. It will be worth it." Then he asks this question back to Habakkuk. How long are you willing? How long do I have to wait? Well, how long are you willing? How long do you want it? It will be worth it. Can you wait? It's that question. There's this song that came out uh, a year ago, literally Christmas time a year ago, by, by a hill song called Seasons. And it gets to the bridge. It gets to the climax. It's talking about what it means to Advent, to wait for the Lord. And it says this. It, it says, I can see your promise, God. I can see the future you've promised me. But you're the God of seasons, and right now I'm in your winter. It's cold, and it's dark, and it's hard, and I've been waiting. But if all I know of your harvest, if all I know of the promise is that it's worth my patience, well, if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. If you're not done working, then God, I'm not done waiting. Do we believe that? Because the first adventures did. And they, get, and they receive this honor, again, an honor no one else received, to hold the God of the universe in their hands and recognize who he was. That's the message of Advent. That's the message of the Nativity. Do we want to know what it means to have God be a part of us, an intimate part of us, to look on him as more than just a vague God, but as part of our family? Will you? Are you willing? Will you obey? Do you want to know what it means to be a great evangelist, to share and proclaim the glories of God, or will you receive it a million and one times? Will you let it move you one more time? So much so that you can't help but share it. Do you want to know what it means to worship God fully? Will you just look at the signs he's giving you? Do you want to recognize where he is in your life? Do you want to advent, preparing, praying, waiting, receiving his promise? Will you say with Simeon, with Anna, will you say with the nativity, well, God, if you're not done working, then I'm not done waiting yet. Will you pray with me? Jesus, God, um... We are all praying for things. You put promises in our hearts, desires, and our souls. God, we pray right now with your saints. God, I pray we'd be willing. I pray we'd be obedient. God, I pray we receive you. we let ourselves be moved by you one more time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we worship you fully, that we recognize you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that we would say with the saints, if you're not done working, God, we would just not be on waiting. We pray in your name in the Advent season, God. Make it not just an Advent season, but an Advent spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.